0: Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 281. Our guest today is a professional polo player and founder and president of Polo for Life. He and the other PFL board members who are Christine Aylward, PJ Rizvi, Dr. Rita Reich, and Vis Waddell are dedicated to helping South Florida families impacted by a childhood cancer diagnosis through PFL's direct impact programs. Our guest has a super powerful story, so I am so excited to welcome him today, Brandon Phillips. Hi, Brandon. Hey, how are you? Doing well. How are you?
1: Good, thank you.
0: Awesome. Well, I am so pumped to talk polo, but first, how did you first get started in the horse world?
1: I was born into it. My whole uh, mother's side of the family uh, were in the horses. Uh, I grew up on a horse farm there. grew up just about 40 minutes north of Toronto. And so I have all my mother's side, my grandmothers, and actually the Canadian Horse Show Hall of Fame for all the horse breeding and and, uh, things that she's done in her career. And then I have uncles that are uh, on the Canadian Olympic teams for show jumping. And I have professional cousins in the show jumping world. And my father show jumped a little bit. And then my father got into polo for fun uh, because actually where we lived, it was about 10 minutes away from the Toronto Polo Club. So he had some friends that uh, were starting to play, you know, kind of weekend warrior stuff. They had an arena and then eventually grass fields. And so uh, he, he was playing on my brother. So I just grew up as a little kid, you know, on the farm and we had a few horses and, and started just kind of doing, it was a, a family thing. Um, so I just, I grew up pretty much on a horse and, And that's kind of, yeah, I didn't really have a choice. That's what we were doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like usually with families that are so involved in the horse world, you either go like one of two ways. You're like, you want nothing to do it with it, or you're like fully into it, which obviously you were fully into it. Yeah. And then I feel like you were about 14 when you were diagnosed with lymphoma, correct?
1: Yeah, I was um, started playing polo actually like, getting into it a little. When I was 11, I started playing my first tournaments at home. And then, um, but my main passion the whole time was hockey, obviously being a Canadian kid. So I was playing hockey the whole time. Polo was something you did a few months in the summer, but it was pretty much hockey. And then when I was 14, basically June 7th, 1992, morning I woke up and my uh, my right leg, or my sorry, my left leg was swollen around my thigh. And so we thought, I mean, on the Thursday I had a Rugby game on Friday. I had a hockey game, a polo game. Saturday, I had a soccer game. So, I woke up Sunday morning and, you know, just thinking I, I pulled something or I did something.
0: Sure.
1: Um, but then my leg was getting more and more swollen, or the thigh was. I, you know, showed my mother and I had some broken blood vessels up at the top of my leg. So, they thought maybe it was a blood clot. Um, went to the local hospital. And they couldn't figure it out. So they then sent me to hospital for sick children, which is in Toronto. So luckily we were only 40 minutes away and it's a a world renowned hospital for children. And so they sent me there and, you know, within about a day, they found a grapefruit size tumor that had wrapped around my left ureter, which in turn then hit, it got big enough. It hit the lymph nodes in my leg. So my leg wasn't draining fluid. So it was just basically going to just keep swelling. So then, uh, they kind of, it was, it was, it was crazy because it was literally within 24 hours they came in and, you know, they said, okay, your left kidney hasn't been working for about a month, but I had no yeah. idea, but, yeah. um, but they said, you're going to most likely lose your left kidney almost well, I say it, for sure. You're going to lose your left kidney, very good chance. You're going to lose your left leg. And we're going in for a I- biopsy to see exactly what type of tumor this is. And turned out it was probably it was a stage four, uh, it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they probably couldn't get much worse. So they said, you know, they're going to put me immediately on chemotherapy. And they gave, they didn't tell me this, but gave my parents, told my parents, it was, you know, a 50-50 shot of me surviving. And I probably, you know, could be in about six weeks to live if they don't, you know, beat this. So wow. that was all with, after, you know, probably 48 hours after playing a soccer game, that comes down at you. So it was just kind of out, of out of left field. But it was, you know, they put me on a, it was called the Berlin Protocol. I always remember was the type of chemotherapy that was extremely strong. It was there, a lot of things they were, weren't even approved yet, but they kind of said, you know, their exact words are we're throwing everything in the kitchen sink on yet. And um, we're going to just have to try stuff because we're running out of time. So wow. what there was, was basically, uh, I mean, as they started, it was about a week, a week of just purely administering the drugs here so in hospital for a week. I was basically all, all in in the hospital the first 35 days, the first month I lived there. And uh, they were literally coming in with a with, uh, measuring tape around my leg. And they're like, okay, if it gets to a certain size, we're gonna have to whack it off. Uh, because they're just, they're, until the chemotherapy kicked in, they didn't know if it was gonna work and if it did, how well, and if it was able to shrink it that quickly that my, because you know, it was inoperable, this tumor. It was uh, non-capsuled, which meant it was stuck to everything. So they couldn't just come in and cut it out and relieve the pressure. So they had to rely on drugs to, to, to do it. So fortunately, after the, you know, the first round, it's about a, a week of administering the drugs. Then you're you know technically supposed to have two weeks until the next round, but you usually get about four days. Then all your counts go down, your blood counts, everything gets super, super weak. And you then pretty much go back to hospital for them trying to keep you alive for a week until your blood counts come back up and then as soon as you start to feel like a human again they'll hit you again with another round so mm. of chemo so that's kind of the cycle that went for about four and a half months of that then you know the side effects I think I went through about 22 spinal taps and you get all the side effects uh, from the drugs which are yeah. you know you know when you get a canker sore you have that little white you know in, mm-hmm. in your, on your lip well, my whole tongue mouth and throat was white Wow. So it was on feeding tubes and, you know, you just, you move your mouth and your blood pours out because it breaks, cracks all the sores. And so that, and that was, unfortunately, that was only every other cycle. It was a drug called adromycin, which, um, a chemotherapy drug, which gave really bad things, and attacks all the fast growing cells. So, you know, your, all your glands in your mouth and your saliva and all that stuff, it, it has a effect too so that was probably the most painful part of it the sides of the you know the spinal taps where they actually use it to test the cerebral fluid make sure that the cancer hadn't gone anywhere else and then they actually pump chemotherapy into your cerebral fluid to go around your brain because basically how they said it's like we're blowing up this tumor and we don't want pieces to start going other parts of your body so they treat you head to toe uh, every part they could to to just make sure that they they got you so that was uh-huh. all that unreal. And so that was in June started by the end of October treatment stopped and then I was pretty much the mid-December I got back on the school basketball team uh, weak and 30 pounds lighter but I was probably feeling pretty strong and back playing hockey by mid-January. but it, it was yeah I think I think I, I went in super healthy at 14 I had like 135 pounds. I think I went down to 100 or I lost about 35 pounds through the whole thing and then um you know it took a couple months afterwards and then got back back going again so that was it so then got back in the, the swing of things and you know you just go every two weeks you're going for cat scans and once a month and every four months and every six months and like now i go still to this day you go once a year and just make sure everything's good but i know the type i had they told me it was uh yeah, they had to see much come back until after five years. So five years was kind of a good point. And I think now, I mean, it was 92. So I'm probably well over 20 something years right now. Yeah. So. Well, I
0: was born in 92 and I, my 30th birthday is tomorrow. So. Oh,
1: well. <laughs> happy birthday. And I feel very old now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that is like seriously such an incredible story of, resilience. And I mean, man, I, my dad also had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and his original prognosis was so scary also. I mean, how, what were you kind of like looking forward to that kept you motivated? Like, how were you able to be so resilient through that entire
1: experience? Well, First of all, it was family and friends were super positive. I mean, there was not one day, one moment that I ever thought I was going to die. Never. It was. Uh, it was. I was more just angry that I had. It was that summer, I had a lot of tournaments lined up for polo. I was going to yeah. start to get played a little more, and I hockey had hockey, and basically just put a big kink into things. So, my family was super supportive, and we're very competitive people. And you know, my brother has still laughed because you know I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is NHL, and he came into the hospital room and goes, "Well, you finally made the NHL." <laughs> so I just the wrong one. I was like, yeah, was like, yeah thanks, th- thanks for reminding me. Oh, gosh. So, uh, so anyway, that was uh, just probably that. And then I, I really do feel, I mean, what it, what this did, This I, I'm a professional pole player now because of cancer, as crazy that sounds, because it, it just got me very motivated and just needing to get out of, get out of where I am and and move on with what we wanted to do.
0: Yeah. What kind of role did you, would you say that like horses and polo played once you got out of the hospital and kind of got into your road of recovery and, and kind of trying to get back to life again?
1: It was huge because, you know, because of all the weight I lost and, you know, at that age, trying to get back into hockey right away at the level I was playing at um, and kids had already they gained 40 pounds and I'd lost 30. So I was, you know, 70 pound difference between kids I was playing with. And so it was, it was kind of a little frustrating. And so horses is something, you know, I could go to and polo, I could go to, and it didn't matter the size I was. So I, I really started getting my confidence and, and, and really working harder, more at polo and with the horses um, for right away. I mean, the second I could, uh, I could, I could get on a horse, I did and then really fired in with that. That was at now 15, and, and by the time I was 17, I was playing, I was a professional bowl player um, in Florida. So it, it took a couple of years, and then I got an opportunity and made a, a big team in Florida, and, uh, and that's it. And I just moved to Florida, and I've been home ever since, and, and playing professionally ever since.
0: Ecogold has always been on a mission to modernize the saddle pad and improve your horse's safety, comfort, and performance ecogold has really continued to be at the forefront of innovation i personally am so fortunate to be a part of a top team in the hunter jumper world at Hesslink williams and we only use ecogold's fitted pads for showing we're in good company because olympians like boyd martin mclean ward jacqueline brooks jessica phoenix rely on ecogold pads every single day. So to get more information about EcoGold, you can visit their website at ecogold.ca. That's ecogol dot Amazing. Well, your experience obviously had some part in motivating you to help others and you founded Polo for Life. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to start an organization like this.
1: Sure, I mean, when I started playing professionally, I never ever wanted to talk about when I was sick or talk about cancer in general. I mean, it was as bad as turning the TV off when I saw a bald person. I mean, I just wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want anyone to know about it. So it was many years of that. And then when I was, I guess now probably my early 30s, an opportunity from from a friend of mine that was was, uh, working at the International Polo Club where we play there in, in Palm Beach. And she said the you know local chapter of the and polo Society was thinking of doing something with us and wanting to do a polo event or a charity event. So they you know thought of me and said, "Would you like to you know because of my past, would you like to be a part of it?" And by that point, I finally kind of grew up and it's like it's about time I give back and and start talking about it more because I could start seeing how it could help other people. So we started this event and now it's maybe nine years ago now uh, called Polo for a Purpose. And uh, we would do it within the Kemia Living Poets Society and it grew, you know, the first year we put it together and made $40,000 and thought we were amazing. And by the third and fourth year, we were at about three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars 400000 wow. um, each year. And it was just a one day event. And then uh, I decided to expand from there and, and start my own foundation, which is now Polo for Life because I wanted, I saw many other areas and, and many other, you know, need for financial assistance and, and any type of assistance for families. So I didn't want to just put all of our eggs in one basket with the, with, uh, with the LLS. So I uh, started Polo for Life, got our own 501c3. And what I did is expand to, there's four beneficiaries we, we work with, which is Kids Cancer Foundation in Royal Palm, Florida. Uh, there's POST, which is um, the oncology support team that's there, uh, just north, north of West Palm, the Miami Cancer Institute, and Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. So now when we do these events, now we still keep our annual pull for Purpose event, which last year raised over $850,000 in the one day. And it was our best event to date. And now we're working obviously for our next event on February 27th. So we've now for our pull for Life is, is pushing close to $3 million that we've raised. Um, and then what we do is I then present, uh, we set up programs with these beneficiaries and so I, I want to, you know, I want to know the money that we're, we're doing, you know, that we're, we're making is, is is going right. So I don't want to be buying pencils or paying for salaries or, you know, I want this to go directly to the families and the patients. So we set up programs to know that, you know, see our dollars at work and, and go touch what, what we're doing. So that's how we set up programs and then donate through these events to them. And then in wow. between our events, we also, we started during COVID, we, uh, you know, families their child gets diagnosed and it's usually one of the parents for sure has to put their job to look after and sometimes both And through COVID some were getting laid off so there's a lot of financial uh, strain and I know how that is you know the families you know and uh, it's not just your child that, that gets cancer it almost feels the whole family does it because everyone suffers so what we did is start putting towards packages of financial aid to help uh, pay you know, mortgages rents car bills car insurance um, you know, the daily things, gas cards, we're giving out help for transportation. I mean, there's some families in, in the Palm Beach area that can't even, uh, you know, afford the fuel to get their children to, to treatment. So we were finding a lot of this. So, you know, we helped, you know, put out thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to local families to help them get through, uh, you know, through the, the basic needs. Um, so they can just concentrate on their child and not worried about a mortgage payment or a car payment. So that we kind of do on the side as well. Um, especially through COVID when we couldn't do our events, we we're, we were really concentrating on that. Right. And so now we uh, you know, so we're still doing that as long as, uh, and unfortunately there's a few times, you know, we've, we've had to help pay for funerals and the, the sad side as well. So we're just really trying to help out the families, that, the local families that are needing the assistance, as well as putting these programs together, which can be anything from equestrian programs for not only the patient, but their siblings where the family can go do things. There's, you know, certain art programs. There's many things we're putting together as well that, that are just helping helping the families get through it. And then what we have um, a very, uh, one of our main uh, supporters is the Postage Stamp Farm uh, Foundation. And what they donate each year to basically pay, I've, we have one person on salary and that person, that, the Postage Stamp pays for that. So everyone that, you know, So I don't want anyone to think what I was, you know, I want people to know when they donate the bullet for life, every dollar goes right back to the patient. So we get all of our costs covered by one, one particular by poster stamp farm foundation, which was thankful for them. So everyone on top of that, that their money goes right to work. Amazing. So that was very important to me to not people to feel, you know, and I would never want anyone to ask where their money's going. You know, they gave us a check and uh, they want them to know exactly where it's going and how it's being used.
0: Amazing. So, yeah. that That's yeah. so cool. I mean, obviously pull for life has helped so many children and their families. Do you have like a favorite success story, uh, from your work with Polo for Life?
1: It's actually, it was, um, it was very, nice two, two years ago when we had a Polo for Purpose event. And, um, I got surprised with some of the, some of the kids they, they presented me. I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, they presented me with a little gift and thanking them for, oh. uh, for helping. And, and, it, you know, we always knew what we were doing, but when you really hear it from a you know, an eight-year-old girl standing up there and expressing and speaking so well in front of a room of 400 people and expressing their gratitude—it's very, very uh, touching. Thing. And totally. to know that what we're doing is—you know—it's really affecting right down to the seven and eight-year-olds know what we're doing, not just the parents.
0: Right. So yeah, for
1: me, it was very fulfilling for, to know that it's—it's it's all of our our work is uh, is worth it.
0: Yeah, De- and yeah, definitely motivating because I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a huge. You know, production of logistics that you're having to do to make Polo for Life run so smoothly. I know that this winter, a lot of us head to South Florida. Um, a lot of our listeners make their way down to Wellington and the surrounding areas. And I know you'll you'll be based out of well you're based out of Wellington, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. Okay. Wellington.
0: So nice. Um so what are your plans for uh 2023, you know, starting in this winter and uh, kind of to get a feel for maybe how some of our listeners could get involved.
1: For sure. Well, our, our major event, Polo for Life's major event, which is Polo for Purpose, is the name of the event is uh will be at the National Polo Club, which was formerly known as the International Polo Club, it's now National Polo Club there in Wellington, February 27th. So what we do there is I put on a game that's on the stadium field, and we put a, a, a exhibition game on uh, for everyone, and then we have a, a, a the, we did Indian theme dinner and entertainment to follow after a, in the big pavilion that's right next to the polo field. So we kind of you know there's auctions and live auctions and silent auctions and um, my my real my key with these events is I never want ours to be just a typical event that everyone kind of gets bored. So we always have a different flair each year. With it being an Indian theme, I mean, I'm looking into actually having some elephants and having some things there and oh, something cool. for like, we make it a, a little more fun. And obviously having the polo game right there is a you know a little bit of it for a lot of people that haven't seen it as well. So we put a big game on and, uh, and put some entertainment and a great meal and a great party. And it seems to work out. So we that's our, our main event. I'm obviously playing my, my own tournament games and uh, with my team's uh, almost, you know three, four times a week all through the winter starting in January. so I'll be back there. I'm traveling a few few more places between you know, Mexico and Argentina this fall and we'll be back starting January 15th, going all the way through to April with, with our own tournament games our team. so it's a busy season and we you know we do throw some events in and then I also do some events at the barn to bring the kids and families to the barn to see the horses and and see the kind of behind the scenes stuff too so. We Try to keep everybody everybody happy throughout the season.
0: Yeah, oh, so cool. Um, you've accomplished so much in life and your professional career already. I would love to know what your goals are. What what kind of goals you have for yourself for the future? Is there something big that you're working towards right now?
1: Well, my one just immediate goal for polo uh, for life is you know we we got up to eight hundred and fifty thousand. We made one night. I, knew, I topping a million's been my goal for the last nice. five years. in the the one one night so one of these one day events is the is to reach the one million mark which we were close last year so I I plan on uh, on this year hopefully getting to there with a couple more things we're adding in to really kind of boost it up so far as bullet for life is that and also you know I'd like to bullet for life eventually I want to you know grow throughout the country right now we're helping them locally but there's talk of doing some events next summer in New York and helping some of the local hospitals and children up there i would love to get back to the hospital and save my life in toronto and do some things for them so we're, we're trying to grow and get a little bigger to kind of spread our wings but we're just uh right now working locally in south florida to help our neighbors and and try to grow from there I eventually we'll go across the countries that i love and do probably four or five events with involve polo events you know that I, I catch we have from another you know any other type of charity is we have a polo game we have horses we have professionals so to try to put on a nice show for people and you know get to raise some money at the same time so I would like to you know go through the country and do maybe four or five a year uh, at one point is where I'd like to be
0: so cool. Love it. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're like literally at the airport in South Florida. So thank you for <laughs> taking a minute to no talk problem. with me. Um, your story is incredible. You need to like seriously write a book or something. It's been, it's been amazing it. to hear about your resilience and how you've been able to combine your passions of polo and giving back and sharing your story. Um, so I just applaud you for that. Uh, I'll continue to follow your journey and I wish you all the best.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time.